need to know if people have cell phones. That's important because if all of their problems could be solved by just calling someone on a cell phone, then the plot just doesn't work for me. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Keep It Fictional, our wonderful weekly book chat. My name is Sadie and I am here from the Port Moody Public Library to talk about books today, which is my favorite things. And I am here with some of my colleagues who also love to talk about books. And today I am joined by Virginia, Liz, Kareen, and Fiona. Hello, everyone. Hey. So we are going to be talking today about one of my favorite things, and that is myths, legends, and fairy tales. Uh, I quite enjoy all of the mythological type of stories, uh, fairy tales, and legends as well. So that is what we are going to be telling. But specifically, we are going to be talking not about the original versions of these stories. We're going to be telling retellings today. We're going to talk about all of the different retellings that have been told, uh, hopefully with maybe some more modern spins on them. Um, So we will see uh, what everyone is talking about today. But before we get into that, I have a question for all of our librarians today. And that question is, what is your favorite fairy tale or myth or legend, if you have one, I will say um, for myself, I really enjoy Greek mythology. Uh, So any story that kind of falls into the Greek mythological repertoire, I really, really enjoy. Um, I think that there are some really negative stories that come out of that repertoire, but also some really interesting and positive stories that come out of the repertoire. And I think um, recently uh, more more people are looking at them and uh, and actually acknowledging that there are not always great, um, great associations with them. And I think that that's important. Uh, so I'm going to actually go to Corrine first for this one. Uh, what Do you have a favorite myth, legend, fairy tale? This is really tough because I did like mm-hmm. a phase of all the mythology and all the myths. But the one I think that always like struck me the most as a child and as an adult mm-hmm. is the seven swans. And it follows your classic royal family, bad stepmother, and it is about a young princess who has seven brothers, and they are mysteriously turned into swans by their evil stepmother. And so to save them from this fate, she cannot talk for seven years and has to weave uh, sweaters out of all of them out of briars. Um yeah, it's a really <laughs> it's, it's a dark it's a dark <laughs> dark story because um, eventually she gets kind of rescued by a prince who's like, hey, you don't talk and you know how to sew, come with me, um, and then she's accused of killing her baby. Like it's a lot going on. She's about to be mm-hmm. burned at the stake. Um, yeah, it's a plot heavy fairy tale. There's a lot that goes on there. Um, and it deals with a lot of like very dark tropes in it. So 
for what is ostensibly a part of Grimm's fairy tale repertoire, it is it is a it's a chonky story, a chonky mm. story. So yeah, mm. seven seven brothers is I think what it's called. I might I might have to read that one. That sounds weird. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Liz, what about you? Do you have a favorite fairy tale, myth, or legend? Um, I can appreciate all sorts of myths and fairy tales, but one that really sticks out for me is Puss in Boots. So the antithesis to Corinne's favorite, uh, Puss in Boots is the story of a cat that was bequeathed to uh, one of three brothers um, who is not very well off. And he's thinking, great, I got a cat, yay. Um, but this cat is no ordinary cat. He's very intrepid, he can talk, he can do many wonderful things, he can shapeshift. And as a result, he actually helps the ungrateful brother raise his station in life uh, and everybody lives happily ever after. Very good, a classic. I was in a theatrical production of Puss in Boots when I was, when I was younger. All right, Virginia, do you have a favorite myth, legend or fairy tale? I don't know if I do, but when I was a kid, I'm probably obsessed with Cinderella. It's the first Disney movie that I saw in the theater. That's probably why, because it's the first movie I actually get to go see. And I remember like at one of the department store there, there was like the actual glass slipper. And I was like super like fascinated by it. That's probably like when I was, yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of obsessed with Persephone. Don't know why. Um, the whole Orpheus and Eurydice story, like that, you know, like I guess those ones, I think as an yeah. adult probably, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say I have like a favorite favorite. I, I have to just make a point of saying that Virginia, our resident horror and thriller and psychological thriller, is enjoying the stories of the underworld in the Greek mythology. <laughs> <laughs> but I also just said a story about like a shoe, which you know me and like shoes, like so. That's true. That's true. Varied, varied tastes. All right, Fiona, what about you? Do you have a favorite? I do, but I'm going to talk about other things for too long. Well, I meander my way towards that question. Okay. You like, I have a complicated relationship especially with Grimm's fairy tales where I get really obsessed and like read them all I'm like I just they're so interesting and then you get to like a point where you just are like oh my gosh this is just like story soup these don't make any sense and we just keep telling them and telling them and telling them again and they're probably so far from what they actually are and they're so ridiculous and then I get really angry um <laughs> like I don't know if, if any of you have ever read Hans my Hedgehog. It's like about a half hedgehog. And in some of them he plays, he rides a rooster and he plays the bagpipes. And it's just the, like, the oddest thing ever. Like, it's so weird. Um, it makes perfect sense, Fiona. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, well, I have a complicated relationship with Grimm, particularly. Um, I do, I like um, Hans Christian and Anderson kind of as the antithesis of like, sometimes there's a little, it's a little more flushed out, makes a little more sense. So <laughs> the Snow Queen is actually my absolute favorite. And I love like the whole storybook with the pictures and then the play version. Uh, it's just so beautiful. I'm also a big fan of Muppet retellings of fairy tales. Oh, <laughs> Like... The Elves and the Shoemaker, 
or the Emperor's New Clothes. It's like fuzzy and oh, it's so good. Yeah. yeah, the Muppet Christmas Carol is still one of my like all-time favorite holiday movies. So, yeah, I can understand that. Better than a Mickey's Christmas Carol? Yeah, I'm I'm oh. more familiar with Muppets, and yeah, <laughs> not like as a concept, but in, in regards to Christmas Carol <laughs> movies. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> Fight, fight, fight. <laughs> Tune in later while me and Kareen go head to head on which Christmas Carol is the better one. Or maybe tune in for a holiday version of our book chat. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. might re resurface. Just want to remind you of Michael Caine's singing voice, and I will end my argument there. All right, all right, that's fair. That's fair. It's almost love. But it was almost always. <laughs> No, Kareem's not going for it. <laughs> All right. Well, as we ponder that, uh, let us know in the comments if you have a favorite Christmas Carol retelling or other retelling as well. It does not have to be specifically a Christmas Carol. And we are going to go and see what Virginia has for her retelling today. All right. So the one that I have today is called The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Lavelle. And this is a retelling of a story by H.P. Lovecraft called The Horror at Red Hook. Now, many of you know H.P. Lovecraft is one of the more influential horror writers out there. He's created a whole subgenre called cosmic horror. In a nutshell, it's kind of like the fear of that we have of something that is so beyond our comprehension that when we can't even like deal with it because it is so scary. Um, but more importantly, many of you probably also know that H.P. Lovecraft is a garbage person. He is racist, he is xenophobic, and all his horrible, horrible white supremacist attitudes are all over his stories and all over his writings. And a lot of writers like Victor Lavelle, who grew up reading. Lovecraft as a kid, maybe not realizing what he's actually saying, um, get inspired by his stories and, and even, you know, wanted to become horror writers just like him. And then as they grew up and realized what he's actually saying in some of these stories and the words that he used to describe people of color. Um, and it's been said that like, if he walks on the street and give like, he sees somebody that is like an immigrant or somebody who is a people of color, he will walk, he will cross the street and go the other side, like as if they are infectious, like they're contagious, that you're going to get something from them. Like he is that horrible of a person. So for a lot of writers that, that grew up reading him, it's very complicated. They like, as this book is actually dedicated to, to Lovecraft. And he says like, with all the complicated feelings that I have. Um, so what, a lot of newer cosmic horror do is that they take all his monsters, they take his horrors, they take all these horrible things, scary things that he created and basically just throw it back at his face and cram it down his throat and put all the people of color as the protagonist battling all the horrors that he created using those stories, using his style of stories to talk about racism to talk about like you know the the horrors of the real world and that's exactly what this book did and and i think that that really makes it a such a great retelling 
So it is a novella. It's a very short novella. So I don't want to say too much about the story. The original story, The Horror of Red Hook, is um, I, I actually went and read it. Like I didn't read Lovecraft when I was growing up. So I don't have any complicated feelings about it. Um, I don't want to read him anymore now in knowing that who he is. Um, so I'm trying to read more of the newer cosmic horror. But I did go back and read this story just because I feel like I should. And apparently according to people who read a lot of Lovecraft, it's not a very good story. Anyway, it's about like an old Dutch man who decided that he needs to raise the ancient one. So he like, grab, you know, got himself with these like demon worshippers so that he could like, you know, wake them up or whatever. That's kind of the original story. So apparently not very good, but it is one of the ones with very blatantly racist descriptions of people of color and of immigrants. Um, and just the way he described it, it's like unbelievable. Like, who is this guy? Anyway, so what Victor Lavelle in this, in the Ballad of Black Tom, what he did is that he he said it in 1920s New York. And it is about a young black man named Tommy Tester. He lived in Harlem. And Tommy watches his father, takes a regular job as a construction worker, being paid much less than all his white counterparts, um, not being protected in a dangerous job um, because no union wants to have any black people in it. So he looked at his dad doing what he does to make a living. And he's like, I don't want to do that. I That's no. So he ended up taking a lot of different like random side jobs. One of them being connecting people with these supposedly forbidden books or like magical artifacts. And then the other being like a musician because what he recognizes that, well, you know, in my neighborhood, I'm not really good. Like, I'm not a good singer. I'm not really a good guitar player. And, you know, no one is going to pay me any attention in, in my neighborhood. But if I go to the white neighborhood, you just have to dress the part. You have to dress like what they expect a young jazz musician to look like. And that's how he get his like little musical gigs, you know, as, as a side job. So one day he was in one of those neighborhood playing his guitar and a man walked up to him and said, hey, I, I like what you're doing. I'm having a party in about three days and at my house, I want you to come to play at my party. Here's a hundred dollars in advance. And you know, when you finish, you're going to get another 400. $500. You do not turn down $500. That will pay for his rent, his food for at least six months for him and his dad. So he's like, yeah, fine. Sure. I'll do that. But once he finished talking and the guy left, two people that came to him and one of them is a cop and the other one turns out to be a private investigator. And they wanted to know everything that went on between that little exchange because they're telling him that they're actually hired by some of his relatives, the, the guy's relatives, because there has been some weird things going on in his house. The relatives think that he's like lost his mind. There's all these unsavory people gathering at his house and, and they wanted to know, they wanted to prove that he is insane so that they can get his inheritance and get his money, basically. So as a black person in a white neighborhood talking to a cop, he does what black people do, looking down, don't make eye contact, making sure that like, you know, nothing you nothing you do is threatening or like, you know, sudden or anything like that. And he did, he did all that, but he didn't tell them that he's going to go back to his house in three days. And now he's wondering what kind of party and what kind of gathering is this going to be when he walk into his house in three days? This is a really good, it's, a, it's like I said, a very short novel, so I won't say any more about it, but it is a really good introduction if you are curious about like the subgenre of horror, like cosmic horror, what that's like, and you don't want to read Lovecraft, try this. I think it's a really, really good sort of introduction to that. 
Um, I would also say this is also a great novel for anyone who is interested in a book that explores the systemic racism, the Black experience, police brutality, super relevant, even though this is sort of set in the Chinese in New York. This is, of course, like still, still going on now. And so it's a really good, relevant read for the times and a great speculative fiction. So it is The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Lavelle. My rant is over. So... <laughs> It was a good and justified rant. So I'm always in support of a justified rant. So many writers <laughs> taking on Lovecraft. I think N.K. Jemison's The City in the City is another one that just came out that kind of like takes that by the throat. So I'm, I'm going to read that one too. Thank you, Virginia. It might be a book that we actually both enjoy. I'd say wait until you read it, right? Like don't right? make any... I know, like, yeah. All right. Well, they are going to go to Liz. Well, I, I kind of picked something different. I kind of deviated from the whole fairy tale and myth theme of retelling. Uh, but this is a retelling nonetheless. So once upon a time, there was a young woman named Hillary Rodham. And she met a gentleman named Bill Clinton. They both achieved their law degrees. He went on to become president of the United States of America. She went on to become first lady as well as secretary of state, among other achievements. So that is the known version of this so-called story of Hillary Rodham Clinton. However, there is a retelling of this living person's story and it is called Rodham and it has been written by Curtis Sittenfeld. Now, admittedly, I am partway through this book because to be quite honest, I don't usually read retellings. On top of that, initially I had no interest in reading this book. So when this was first announced, I thought, this book has many strikes against it for my tastes. First off, it can be considered women's fiction, which I don't read a lot of. I read some, but not a lot. The second, I assumed that the author was a man, Curtis Sittenfeld. So what would a man have to say about Hillary Rodham Clinton? Turns out Curtis Sittenfeld is not a man. Uh, and also the idea of talking about the personal life and thoughts of a living figure without their express permission seemed kind of creepy to me. However, needing a retelling and also kind of warming up to the fact that, you know, maybe in light of recent events, let's say the past four years or so, it would be kind of interesting to see how the premise of Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld plays out. So the book opens uh, as it did in real life, where Hillary Rodham uh, has graduated from Wellesley and she has entered Yale Law School. And this is at the beginning of the 1970s. Um, she has met Bill Clinton at Yale Law School and they begin a relationship. So that, that is more or less factual with the author's embellishment about how their relationship actually unfolds. Now, as the story progresses, we're to find out what if Hillary didn't actually marry Bill? So by her own admission, Bill had proposed to her several times before she finally decided to say Yes, he was entering a career in politics in Arkansas, and she wasn't really sure that being the wife of a politician, let alone in Arkansas, 
was the correct trajectory for her and her ambitions. So in light of everything that has happened recently uh, with her uh, bid for the presidency in 2016 that didn't pan out, regardless of what your opinions about her politics are, um, I think it's undisputable that the fact that she has been involved with Bill Clinton and married to him um, for all these years has perhaps had an influence on people's perceptions of her as Hillary Rodham. Um, and instead, she is viewed as Hillary Rodham Clinton or Hillary Clinton. And that has become a very defining aspect of this woman's life, a woman who has achieved much and has proven herself to be as intelligent as anybody out there. I'm looking forward to seeing where the author, Sidenfeld, takes Hillary Rodham's life, um, minus Bill. Apparently in this story, they will cross paths many times as they both navigate the U.S. political system. It is a very easy read, a bit of a page turner. So if you are interested in American politics, you'll definitely get a lot of that factual information of events uh, and, and things that Hillary was involved in uh, in her life throughout her political career. Uh, I gotta admit though, it is a little weird reading about intimate details of a relationship for somebody who A, is living, uh, is very well known, uh, and B, is also, She's a more mature woman. And so to picture them in the heyday of their youth in the 70s uh, is a little bit odd at times. But if you can move past that, if you are interested in American politics and also interested in um, learning of one person's retelling of, or a possible telling of what a woman's life could be when she's not defined by the man she is married to, uh, then you might also want to pick up Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld. I'd be very curious to know if she has commented on on the book. I have looked for that information, out of, you know, uh, temper my guilt at reading something about uh, the personal, the perceived personal life of somebody, potential personal life. Um, I have not found any comment. <laughs> that in and of itself might be telling. <laughs> like, would you would you read the fan fiction of your own life? It kind of is fan fiction. It does mm -hmm. paint her so far in a very complimentary light. Yeah, and like fan fiction doesn't necessarily have to be like very, very positive or very negative. It's just like a reimagining of something. It's very much real person fan fic that was published. So mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. So far, so good. All right. Well, we are going to go to Corrine next. Corrine, what retelling are you going to tell us about today? So I chose one that definitely does not take place in the real world about real people. Um, this was an agonizing choice for me. Um, I went back and forth texting Sadie with my choices about every five minutes until pretty much we started this chat. So this was really hard. Um, Again, like a long time ago, I read almost every fairy tale retelling, uh, every single thing based on Greek mythology or Egyptian mythology or anything, um, but for a while haven't really picked it up. So I had to kind of go back and think of what was the one that I most recently enjoyed. I kind of looked at mysteries, so House of Silk, which was the Anthony Horowitz pastiche Sherlock Holmes novel, or maybe Sophie Hanna's new Poirot novels. But in the end, I decided to go for something like a little bit more traditional when we think about the word retelling. And I chose um, Virginia's favorite story, the classic story of Cinderella. 
and I chose Marissa Mayer's kind of fantasy sci-fi retelling of it, which is, of course, Cinder. And this is the story of Cinder, who is growing up in New Beijing. She is a cyborg, so she is human, but she has certain augmentations on her body that she doesn't remember exactly how she got them when she was a very young child. There was an accident, and her one of her arms and her legs and part of her brain had to be replaced by mechanical parts. And maybe for that reason, um, Cinder is a very, very good mechanic. She has an excellent reputation in the kingdom, so much so that when Prince Kai, the handsome, young, uh, very eligible prince of their kingdom um, is looking for someone to help repair his personal android. He decides to forego the usual palace mechanics and go looking for Cinder herself to try and fix it. Of course, they meet, they're both young and gorgeous and good-looking, and they fall in love, but Cinder has the secret that in her society she is a cyborg, and cyborgs are very much looked down upon. And Prince Kai has kind of got problems of his own. Um, this takes place in a world after there was a, first, a fourth world war, as well as the fact that there are aliens that live on the moon, and they have mind control powers, and... There is a uh, plague that is taking over the entire Earth called Lutmosis, to which there is no cure. And there is a delegate coming from the dark side of the moon who say that they have a cure for this disease. But in order for them to give it to the people who live on Earth, they will need Prince Kai to get married to their crown princess. However, should Prince Kai agree to this, Essentially, he will be held hostage by the Lunar's mind control for the rest of his life and live as a puppet. So everyone's got problems. Um, this is a very fun, very light YA retelling. It's actually part of a series. There are four books in the series, each of them introducing a brand new character, which is a retelling of a, another classic grim legend. So there is Scarlet, which is Little Red Riding Hood, Cress, which is Rapunzel, and Winter, which is kind of Snow White, I think. Um, it's a very fun, very quick series. So if you're looking for like a breezy YA with like fantastic locales, a little bit of sci-fi, lots of romance, um, then you can definitely pick this one up either in their hardcovers or their beautiful new paperbacks. I think it's up your alley, Sadie. <laughs> I was thinking that as well, but then you started talking about aliens, and I don't know how I feel about that. They're not really aliens. They're just people who live on the moon. But I guess technically, if you're living on the moon, you're not an earthling, so you're an alien. So they're lunars, but they're not like, they don't have like tentacles. Okay. They, they just look like regular people, but they can do mind control. Okay. Okay. I'll probably, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot and see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it is time for us to ask our existential questions. And this week we have more than one. Why, why another <laughs> one? I thought the why first question one? was our existential. <laughs> so we are going to play a quick round of would you rather with books. Uh, our first question is, would you rather have dinner with your favorite author or your favorite character? Character. character. And who, who would, do you know who that would be, Virginia? No. No. Author. 
Yeah, I must yeah. say author too, because otherwise it just breaks my understanding of reality and I'm not going <laughs> to go there right now. <laughs> That's fair. I, I, yeah, no, no. I think character though, because authors can be boring. Like, they can disappoint, disappoint you. you. I don't want to like be disappointed by a real person. I'm okay with being disappointed by a fake person. Right. So a couple for character, a couple for author. All right. Next question. Would you rather read a book that has a horrible cliffhanger or read a book in which your favorite character is killed? <laughs> what kind of questions the are these? that make you question the entire world. <laughs> I think favorite character killed. I oh. like some sadness in my books. Cliffhanger. Because you're assuming they're going to write a next one. I'll go with character because the author can always bring them back in the next book. <laughs> cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. All right, we are we are split as well. I think I might go with cliffhanger on this one. Yeah, if, as long as there's another one coming out. If there's no other one coming out, then. <laughs> what did you say for the previous one, Sadie? I didn't. Oh. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with <laughs> good go character. You know, good go with character. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's some fun characters that I would enjoy, enjoy getting to know. Okay. Question number one. Would you rather read everything that's available in a series right away and then have to wait a really, really long time for the last one? Or would you rather wait to read the entire series in its entirety when it is all released. Read it now. You could be you 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 don't know what the future holds. <laughs> yeah. See, I used to think that and I still do. Like I was just like if a new one come I can't I can't resist, right? I can't help it. I'm just gonna go read it. However, I know that because I can't remember anything from a series, it's actually better for me if I read all of them at the same time. At least a substantial amount of them has come out and then like if I tackle that series, like it, it's better for my brain, I think. <laughs> I get that. I definitely, I have, I don't reread things. We've talked about this before, but the few things that I have reread are when a new book in a series comes out and I need to remind myself of what has happened because it's been so long since I've yeah. read the rest of them. All right. So we have one, read it all at once. One, read it and have to wait. Liz, Fiona, how do you weigh in on this? I don't mind. I don't mind the anticipation. Um, yeah, I, I almost feel like if I read the whole series at once, the loss would be greater. When the last book, <laughs> the end of the last book, you know, you spent that one big chunk of time on it, and then it's all over. Whereas if it's kind of spread out, you've already had the pain of longing for the next book. And then you get the high of reading the next book when it does come out, and the low of when it's over, and then it's a more gradual, as opposed to a you know, a big high reading the whole series, and then bam, you're done. And let's remember, Liz doesn't actually really read series. She yeah. that no, no. That's why she's doing that. So Liz, this is all hypothetical for Liz. Yeah, it makes sense to me. <laughs> Fiona, what do you think on this one? 
I agree with Liz's sentiment entirely. I think that also because she doesn't read series. I have feeling. I, I read some series sometimes. I like name two. Do you want to read? Um, my um, Five Worlds, the graphic novel, um, number four just came in, and I've been waiting for that like all year. I'm pretty excited about that. It was it was a gratifying wait. And you're gonna read it as soon as you get it instead of waiting. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. For our final question, I feel like I know how this one is going to go already. Would you rather read a book that transports you to the past or to the future? See, you should just guess. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 Right. Two, two, I know. Virginia, I'm going to say future. Corrine, I'm going to say past. Are we that predictable, Corrine? <laughs> we are. <laughs> Got it. Liz, I'm going to say future. And Fiona, I'm going to say past. But I don't know as much about those ones. I think it's pretty. I, I like both, but I think past squeaks by. Yeah, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm more of a present person. I know that's not that, yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> I will choose the past. Okay, all right. See, I would have reversed those. I would have thought the Fiona read more about the future, just because I know you read more sci-fi graphic novels. Mm, fair, that's fair. But I also I really like an unknown time, like when you were reading about sci-fi, but it doesn't like connect it to the present world. I kind of like that. So it like has future. no star date. It has no star date. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that I struggle with. Like, I feel like I need to know how, wherever it is, I need to know where it sits in relation to, to the real world, even if it doesn't connect at all. Like, I need to know that it is disconnected and how it's disconnected, if that makes sense. I need to know if people have cell phones. That's important because if all of their problems could be solved by just calling someone on a cell phone, then the plot just doesn't work for me. Fair, fair. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like everyone knows which one I would rather, rather go to. Yeah. So. Yeah. The past. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for participating in our game of Would You Rather with books. Uh, let us know in the comments if there are specific ones that you you'd gravitate towards with those. All right, the next one up, we have Fiona. Fiona, if you'd like to tell us about your retelling. Absolutely. So I also chose a non-fairy tale retelling. So I'm going to talk about Pride by Evie Zaboy. And it is called A Pride and Prejudice Remix. So I think that is a pretty good description. Yes, yeah, so this is, in fact, a retelling of Pride and Prejudice. Not really a traditional fairy tale, but definitely something that there are lots of adaptations and retellings of. And it got me thinking about how, like, you know, sometimes fairy tales feel like kind of irrelevant. And maybe, maybe we have like new, new old stories that we retell again and again. They have that like cultural significance. And, you know, maybe they originated in a different format like Pride and Prejudice, because <laughs> I, I do love a good retelling of a classic book. In this book, it follows Zuri, who lives in uh, Bushwick, and 
it is a YA story and it talks a lot about gentrification and community. And of course, there's a love story. The Darcy's move across the street from Zuri and her family, and they are part of the new Bushwick crowd, part of the gentrifying community coming in. So they have a great big house. Uh, they're really well off. Uh, Darcy, uh, what's his name in this? It is, let me just see, uh, Darius is um, very kind of preppy and of course uh, Zuri uh, looks down on him and is like oh you're so like fake and so preppy um, and she's not very fond of him. I really appreciated that um, the romance didn't seem like a really central part of it. It really focuses a lot on Zuri and her strong personality and her future. She wants to go to college and then come back and uh, protect her community from gentrification, essentially. And so, well, obviously it's Pride and Prejudice retelling, so the romance is important, um, but it wasn't like the only thing that happened in the book. I also felt like it had a really good uh, voice for a YA. You know, sometimes things are sort of more on the side of like, the main characters frustrating and like obnoxious and you're like ah oh, just stop complaining all the time whereas Zuri was like um she was a really like strong character and like she was stubborn but she didn't have that sort of like adolescent voice that can be frustrating in YA sometimes I don't mean to trash YA that was entirely unintentional I love YA uh, um, yeah, so it's an excellent retelling. Um, I definitely recommend it for people who like uh, Pride and Prejudice retellings. Like, I feel like you could just read for a whole year and like only read Pride and Prejudice retellings. And it's so fun to just sort of like, you know, find those story beats and be like, oh, they introduced a new character. Who is that going to be? Um, and that's something I really love about reading those retellings is it just sort of like like piecing things together as you read it and this was really gratifying in that way yeah so so definitely highly recommend it i i'm i don't know how exciting it would be if you had if you haven't read or don't like pride and prejudice um it still has a good like story at the baseline and i found all the like um aspects about community and gentrification um particularly interesting and a lot of fun. Um, and I actually listened to the audiobook version, which was excellent. So would recommend the audiobook if you were going to pick it up. And I believe it has been optioned by HBO to be a brand new television series. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask if you if you're not familiar with that story, if you yeah, if you can still get something out of it. Yeah, or... yeah I, I think so. Um, yeah. It almost like, I don't know if any of you have watched the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, but I feel like it would be like a good companion to that of like really taking it on its own, like like adding a lot and, and making it its own world and its own story, but then having these fun like nods to the original Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Maybe that will be my in to Pride and Prejudice. I'll start with that one and then... You're not there already. Never read it. I'm not I'm not a classics person. I feel like 
I know. I'm sorry, Corrine. I'm sorry. It's fine. <laughs> Just talk about your book, Sadie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. The book that I'm going to be talking about is a retelling of a legend that I think most people are at least familiar with. Uh, even if you haven't read the full original text, the general story is one that is very well known. Now, this story tells the tale of a young boy who is mentored and trained by a wizard named Merlin to become the once and future king. So this story that I'm talking about is, of course, the King Arthur story. Uh, it has been told a variety of different ways. In some versions, Arthur pulls a sword, Excalibur, from a stone, proving that he is the true king. In other versions, he is given the sword by the Lady in the Lake, once again, proving that he is the true king. He has his Knights of the Round Table, falls in love with Guinevere, etc., etc. As I said, a very well-known legend. So the retelling that I am going to be talking about doesn't, in fact, change the original Arthurian legend. What it does is imagine a world in which the legend is true. Everything happened just as we've always heard, except that during Arthur's time, Merlin cast a spell which ensured that the spirits of Arthur and all of his knights would be able to continuously come back to the world when the world needed them most. Now it turns out that the year 2019 is one of the times that the world needs them. So the book that I'm going to be talking about is Legend Born by Tracy Dion, and it follows the story of Brie Matthews. Brie is a 16-year-old um, and along with her best friend Alice, has just been accepted into the early college program at the University of North Carolina. Both Brie and Alice have been very excited about this. They applied together, hoping that they would both get in. Now they're at UNC and ready to start their first year of early college. However, it's not exactly how Brie pictured it. A few months before Brie starts this program, her mother dies in a car accident. Now, this accident happens right after Brie and her mother have a huge fight about Bree's acceptance to the early college program at UNC. But Bree is determined to leave that behind, start fresh, enjoy her newfound freedom. So on her first night on campus, Bree and Alice attend a party in the woods. Everything is going really well until two college students start fighting each other. Bree and the others are quickly told by another student to leave. They don't want to be there anymore and they should leave and go back to their dorms and forget that anything strange happened. So everyone goes to follow these instructions, except for Bree. She finds that she isn't compelled to listen in the same way that her classmates are. So Bree stays and ends up witnessing something that she will never be able to forget. Above the two boys fighting, Bree sees a black, smoky, demonic presence. She also sees two students take out weapons and battle this presence until it has been killed. Bree flees after this, finds Alice, and leaves, but she can't stop thinking about what she's seen. So the next day, Bree is supposed to meet up with her student mentor. Now, during this meeting, Brie once again witnesses something she'll never be able to forget. This time, what she sees takes the form of a, of a large, semi-corporeal hellhound. 
And this time, her student mentor, Nick, takes out a sword and battles the hellhound until it is dead. During this battle, Bree is injured and Nick takes her back to his house to see a doctor. While she's there, once again, another student tries to tell Bree to forget what she saw and go on with her life. And once again, Bree can't forget. Not only does Bree not forget what she saw, she actually starts to remember something. She starts to remember something that happened the night of her mother's death when a police officer tried to make her and her father forget something. She can't remember what, but she knows that they were told to forget. So Bree decides that these demonic beings, the students who are fighting them, and her mother's death are all connected. And she decides that she has to infiltrate this so-called student organization and find out what is going on. So Bree recruits her mentor, Nick, who is already a part of the organization, uh, to get her into it so she can figure out how everything is connected. What she ends up finding is a centuries-old society that was built from the descendants of King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table, and a fast-approaching battle that could have the potential to destroy everything. I won't tell you too much more uh, because I don't want to ruin anything, but I just want to say that this book is super engaging. Tracy Dion has created a really complex and interesting magical system and a world that I didn't want to stop reading about. Brie is such a great protagonist. She's strong and willful and kind, and there's so much more to her story and her history than first meets the eye. Dion does a really great job of intertwining this fantasy and magic with a story about the past and current systemic racism and the history of colonialism and slavery. So if you're looking for a modern day fantasy with a strong black female protagonist, LGBTQ characters, and a new spin on a classic legend, then I highly recommend Legend Born by Tracy Dion. All right. Well, we have come to the end of our retellings book talk. Uh, I would like to thank uh, my fellow librarians for indulging me and talking all things fairy tales, myths, and legends today. Uh, And thank you everyone who is watching now or watching later as well. Uh, We are very happy to have you join us and let us know if you have favorite retellings. Let us know what your favorites are and hopefully you, uh, you may have found a new book today. So thank you again to everyone. We will see you again next week. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm -hmm.